This is the story of one, and now his quarantine life became a nightmare. It all started when the family decided to order food for dinner. While waiting for their food to arrive, they decided to pass the time watching the news. Something was off, however, as the news sounded more miserable than usual. The family watched on as the news reporters talked about increasing infection rates, all the while looking at the camera with sunken eyes. Suddenly, a doorbell rang through their house. There was a silence. Then a voice announced themselves as the delivery guy. Juan's parents asked him to get the food, and so he got up into the pitch dark porch to receive their food. The parents did not hear anything out of the ordinary until they heard a deafening scream. Over the next few days, Juan's parents noticed how their son changed after that night. He started constantly washing his hands, frantically checking his temperature, and wearing a mask even indoors. They would see him constantly on his phone or TV, obsessed with whatever COVID-related news comes out of the speakers. Juan couldn't understand. Why couldn't his family see the dangers around them? Don't they want to keep themselves safe? He thought, as he scrolled on his phone on COVID-19 statistics. Suddenly, he heard a knock on his door, and he immediately jumped up to block it. His family was inviting him for dinner and was asking him to open the door. He screamed for them to go away, his back on the door, gasping for air, as his eyes looked around for the room in a panic. His heart dropped when he saw himself in the mirror, or rather, the person staring back at him. With a face filled with fear, a body hunched over from constant worry, and withered hands from constant washing. It was you. Oh, that was a unique horror story. It was a bit of a cliffhanger though. Maybe we can go back to it in a while, see how it ends. Welcome to Episode, your one-stop epidemiological program. Episode, your one-stop epidemiological program. This is Angelica Kai. I am Yumo. Micah Chan. And Vian Beltran. On this Halloween special episode, we talk about a phobia that has been creeping up on many this 2020. Coronaphobia. How it works and how to live with it. Hopefully this podcast will increase knowledge and raise awareness on coronaphobia. So we may be able to efficiently manage it through community solutions and personal changes. We have here with us Sir Albert Ago, a psychologist to help us shed some light on this topic. Sir Abbott is a certified assessment psychologist by the Psychological Association of the Philippines. Aside from his work in the Loyola School's guidance office, he also keeps a private practice outside at Mayo. Let us give him a round of applause. Hi, sir. Welcome to the program. Yes, hello. It's nice, it's nice to be here. Thank you. So, sir, before we go on to discussing coronaphobia, let's unpack fear first. Sir Abbott, could you help us define fear and how it affects us? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, fear is one of the basic emotions along with happiness, sadness, anger, and disgust. There's also uh, surprise. It can be experienced in varied intensities and also depends on the individual. That's why we see that some people are more fearful than others. 
And fear is an emotion. As an emotion, fear is useful in helping us navigate our world, the physical, social, and psychological. When I say physical, like you know, the dangers out there, like when you're in the woods, social, when you're afraid of other people. And then psychological, when all these fears are just uh, yeah, are, are happening in your head. But sometimes it's also the very thing that restricts us. Yeah. In other words, uh, fear keeps us away from uneasy situations. We don't get embarrassed or disappointed, but on the other hand, it can also deny us the opportunity to become more resilient. We learn from our mistakes. That old adage still rings true to these days. Thank you for clarifying that for us, sir. I think we don't realize it enough, but fear actually is vital in our everyday experiences, even before this pandemic. Looking at their situation now, however, fear has been a more common emotion. But even if we know that a lot of people experience fear and have been faced with psychological impacts, the psychological health of the people have been mostly neglected. I can see that fear does have a role in this pandemic. Apparently, research by Dodi and Moguku showed that fear can be good, justified, and functional. So, Sir Abed, what do you think about this? Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, it is actually part of our survival instincts. When we are in uncomfortable, or shall we say, fear-provoking situations, our sympathetic nervous system, the part of the autonomic nervous system that regulates our fight-flight response, is activated. So uh, imagine if you don't feel fear. You're really always this brave soul. You just cross the road without looking or just touch a snake. You're, it's, uh, you're unlucky if you touch a poisonous snake. Fear moves us away from danger, saving us from uncomfortable feeling, physical harm, and even death. That's why it's survival instinct. Absurd as it may sound, fear is probably what makes the human species the most powerful in the world. That's interesting. So, in relation to the pandemic right now, people do self-protective factors like wearing face masks because of fear. But on the other hand, fear can also be harmful at a certain extent. I think it becomes a problem when someone fears something too much than they are supposed to. This is when it becomes chronic and affects a person's day-to-day living. Oh yeah, but it's also possible that one does not fear a certain threat enough, which may cause harm. So for the COVID-19 pandemic right now, some people used to fear the virus, but as people became more familiar with it while not having direct experience with it, people became less afraid than they should be and ignore safety protocols like having a necessary social gathering. Yeah, I do see people posting in their IG stories of them going to crowded places, not having proper physical distancing, even for unnecessary reasons like eating out for some yourself. Yeah, I can see how a lack of fear might actually cause some people to be complacent. But let's focus on the other end of the spectrum, when fear can be excessive. It can be a phobia, so fear of coronavirus can turn into coronaphobia. But before we delve into coronaphobia, let us first define phobia. Sir Abbott, what does phobia mean? How is it related to fear? And how can we definitely say that someone indeed has a phobia? Alright, phobia is a form of fear. It's actually a fear itself. But it's the irrational and extreme kind. And it's also persistent, meaning it doesn't go away easily. Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, a phobic person uh, experiences phobia for the rest of his life. And it is experienced without the actual feared event or object. That's why it's irrational. Because the person uh, is terrified without the presence of, some, uh, of what's supposed to be terrifying him. It can be caused by personal experiences. 
meaning the person actually experienced uh, a tragic event or a fearful experience, or vicariously, by just witnessing people experiencing terrible event. Or let's say someone witnessed someone uh, bitten by a dog, so that person vicariously could also uh, experience uh, phobia or develop phobia. Now, this kind of fear is no longer healthy because uh, it affects a person's overall functioning, obviously. People with claustrophobia may pass out inside an elevator. So if that individual is looking for a job, it's going to happen if the interview will be on the 30th floor. I mean, that person will use the stairs. So when he arrives at the interview, he'll be soaking wet. One of the most bizarre phobia is uh, arachibutyrophobia. The fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. So, yeah, uh, talking about uh, being extreme and irrational. Now, this one might be more prevalent to you guys. You guys, uh, you're the young people. Nomophobia. It's a fear of being without mobile phone coverage. So, obviously, this is something uh, this is relatively new. Normal fear, either, uh, normal fear either dissipates naturally or you do something about it. Specific phobias are normally treated by exposure therapy. That is introducing the person to the situation or object in question until fear is resolved. But if fear persists and no intervention is done, it can be unhealthy, not necessarily phobia, but still something that affects our well-being. So in other words, phobia uh, compared with fear, uh, it's no longer like the survival instinct that we think uh, when we mention fear. It's something that really affects us in an adverse way. Thank you, Sir Abbott. Uh, with that said, I do think coronaphobia could possibly be a legitimate phobia. I definitely see people taking unnecessary actions and excessively fearing COVID-19. So recent research describes coronaphobia as having an excessive fear of COVID-19, in which one worries and starts to have trouble in going about with one's day-to-day activities. Adding to that, coronaphobia may actually cause people to have anxiety, depression, and be hopeless and suicidal. Personally, I haven't seen an official worldwide or Philippine count of people with coronaphobia or a study that directly measured coronaphobia, which is kind of expected since it's a fairly new topic. But a meta-analysis by Salari et al. noted a 29.6% prevalence of stress, 31.9% prevalence of anxiety, and 33.7% prevalence of depression during this pandemic in Asia and Europe. Um, wait, wait, sorry. What's prevalence? To help us understand this better, we can have one from the story as an example. So, let's say his village has a population of 100 this year, and 20 got the disease at the start of the year and still have it, and then 10 more got it just recently. The prevalence is the proportion of new and existing cases at the time period, so... 20 existing cases plus 10 new ones over the total population 100 multiplied by 100% is 30%. So that's what we call prevalence. Okay, thank you for that explanation, Micah. As I was saying, one measure of coronaphobia is the recently developed Coronavirus Anxiety Scale, or CAS in short. Situations associated with coronaphobia are given and the respondent answers how frequently this happens to them from a scale of 0 to 4. A score of 9 and up indicates coronaphobia. It is 90% sensitive and 85% specific. If a person has coronaphobia, there is a 90% probability that the screening test score is 9 and up. 
If a person doesn't have coronaphobia, there is an 85% probability that the screening test score is below 9. If you're wondering, okay, if I have this test result, what's the probability I really have or do not have coronaphobia? That would depend on the prevalence. We have limited data on this at the moment, but if prevalence were high, if you score 9 and up, there is a higher probability you really have coronaphobia. And if you score below 9, there is a lower probability you really don't have coronaphobia. Reverse happens if the prevalence is low. So, in summary, it's okay to have fear, but one has to cope with this fear in a self-protective and healthy way. Coping with these fears is critical on the individual and societal level to better manage the pandemic. Psychology is, therefore, important in pandemic response and program development. This is a really interesting perspective. So do you want to learn more about coronaphobia? I sure do. So there are a couple of papers on it already. But before we go on with this, a word of caution. The associations we are about to discuss may be sensitive topics for some listeners. To add, the associations we are about to share is not an exhaustive or conclusive list as more information is still being gathered. That being said, why and how does coronaphobia exist? Well, fear has four domains, bodily, cognitive, behavioral, and interpersonal, each a spectrum of its own. Analytical observational studies by Shamanti et al., Mertens et al., and Aurora et al. explore how the COVID-19 pandemic has touched each one of these domains and why coronaphobia is associated with these domains. Going back to the story of one, we observe his obsession with his body and safety measures. This is the bodily domain of fear. He has both fear of and fear for the body. His overconsciousness of overbody changes that might suggest COVID-19 infection, as well as over the minute details of safety measures, are signs of coronaphobia. Now, let's look into the mind of Juan. What was going on? The influx of information and amplification of risks from leaders, scientists, organizations, family and friends, and social media was too much to handle. It led to burdensome interpretations, negative thoughts, and excessive fear. Health anxiety, worry, and being intolerant of uncertainty can lead to an irrational, paralyzed, or excessive response. How did Juan behave? As we continue our roles as members of society, we're forced to adjust to a new lifestyle with safety measures. Problems in picking up and following through these new routines can lead to avoidance. Breaking old routines is hard. Building new ones takes time. This uncomfortable and overwhelming in-between is solved by avoidance. However, avoidance at an irrational extent can lead to incapacitating decisions. Lastly, how does one see the others? Fear for one's protection also comes with the fear for the security of one's loved ones. It's ironic that we too may be the source of the virus, thus creating a separation of ourselves from others just like one avoiding his family. Alternatively, the people who give us a sense of security and safe haven, such as family, friends, healthcare workers, leaders, and famous personalities are also potentially spreading and getting the virus. Thus, we isolate. To note, we actually appraise these studies based on a criteria by the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine before we included their findings but we lack the expertise determining studies transferability. So given all these information, Sir Abbott, what are your thoughts on coronaphobia? Do you think it's a real phenomenon of its own? How could knowing coronaphobia be a game changer for people in this pandemic or psychologists and counselors in their practice? All right, um, as I mentioned, phobia should be rational extreme. So some people now may be doing things that could lead to coronaphobia but not necessarily. 
the precautions we are doing now are normal. There is real danger. This pandemic is a situation we haven't been in before. We didn't expect this, and that's why it's affecting us uh, in such ways. People are hoarding stuff. They feel agitated at the slightest signs. They fear they will die. But it's hard to consider those feelings and behaviors irrational, considering that more than uh, 40 million people uh, have already caught the virus and counting. There are like over a million deaths already. So uh, besides, we already have misophobia or what most people know as germophobia. If coronaphobia does become real, meaning it's something that will be made official by, I don't know, maybe by the World Health Organization or by the American Psychological uh, Association, it could be more widespread than the other phobias because of the magnitude of the pandemic. Uh, I cannot really say how the field of psychology would address this or if, it, if it's really something that's already there in the mainstream because uh, I'm pretty sure the studies being conducted are very contemporary because it's happening now. But for something to be officially uh, declared, it has to go to uh, a lengthy process. But anyway, I want to be more positive and look at the reactions of people, extremes as it may seem, as our survival instinct kicking in. I would even dare say that compared to the other extremes, I mean, those people who believe COVID is just a simple flu that would go away, they are more, they are more reasonable. Truly the source of fear is reasonable. You walk a fine line given the uncertainties today. But sir, to help us have a clearer picture, may you please give an example of an irrational response you think draws the line between survival instinct and incapacitating response in this pandemic? Okay, Ariel. I had this client just three weeks ago. We talk about how stressed she is lately, mainly because of COVID. Because uh, she's not she's not working. She's a, a homemaker. She uh, she takes care of the of the kid. But lately, she's feeling distressed because she can she couldn't go out. And then suddenly, she started feeling something in her body, like sensing that there's something wrong. She already went to the doctor, but the doctor said she's fine, but she won't believe it. So she kind of forced the doctor to give her a medical test, like laboratory test. And even those tests would build negative results. That's why she was referred to a psychologist instead, because it's probably psychological. And uh, in psychology, we have this concept of hypochondriasis. It's this feeling that, or this fear that you're sick. When in fact you're not, and it's really psychological, uh, maybe because of the person is stressed. Okay? So there's one time uh, they were kind of preparing to eat outside because uh, this, you know, the GCQ was declared uh, in the NCR. It's, uh, it's getting more lax in terms of uh, going out. So they decided to go out, but before they, you know, but before they went out, she like had this bag prepared wherein there she put. All those and you know, all those, all these uh, alcohols, and and then uh, she packed like three sets of clothes for her, for her husband, and for the kid, so that uh, when they get up the car, they will change it up clothes, and then when uh, when once they exit the restaurant where they will, uh, they they plan to uh, eat, they'll change their clothes. But uh, when they're already parked, they went to BGC. 
She couldn't. Uh, she she wouldn't come out. She wouldn't get out the car. And so they ended up just going back to their place. They didn't accomplish anything. Later that day, before she went to bed, she was really scared that she might have gotten the virus. So that you can say is extreme and quite irrational. Uh, not really rational, but uh, I mean, uh, for, for, for someone who, who would be like... Uh, like uh, outside looking in and there's uh, and uh, you see this person it may sound like uh, irrational but uh maybe it is maybe it is but it's really extreme it's uh it, it affects the functioning it affects a relationship i guess uh, i guess it could affect her i don't know relationship with her with, with her husband okay i don't know maybe the kid in uh, who's like three years old could also be disappointed by uh by her actions so yeah i guess that's it you know that's uh, that's like i don't know it's like on the, on the abnormal side of being prepared. Thank you for that, sir. It makes sense. Given all this, let's turn to our listeners. Where do you guys see yourselves in the spectrum of fear? Are you being too complacent, too fearful, or just having the right amount of fear? Fear is multifaceted. Thus, it means to regulate fear is multifaceted as well. Here are some treats for you this Halloween. What can we do about it? Let's go back to the story of Juan. What can Juan, or Juan, do about it? Now, let us return to the story of Juan. Was it his fault things turned out the way they did? Was it his family? The delivery guy? The truth is, it doesn't matter. What matters is how Juan moves on with his life. It is, after all, a new reality. The acceptance of this new reality, though frightening, was Juan's first step in breaking the old cycle of fear he was trapped in. To help himself come to terms with the reality of the present moment, Juan considered looking into the practice of meditation and mindfulness. Maybe I can also schedule weekly video calls every Sunday with my extended family to share burdens and experiences, Juan thought. This would also be a good way to check up on his family and friends in order to feel a sense of security for his loved ones. Wanting to still be updated with the news on the pandemic, Juan finds himself mindlessly scrolling through his newsfeed, seeing articles after articles of bad news. But instead of being consumed by all this information, he closes these tabs for a while. Fear still creeps in from time to time, but Juan has learned to acknowledge this. Aside from just reading about the news, Juan also tries to talk to others about it and includes fear in the conversation. This has helped one reframe his emotions. Learning to live with fear and uncertainty is a process for one. By listing down reasonable practices for his new normal, he can slowly conform to his new routine and avoid getting overwhelmed. But at this point, it isn't just about one. It's about everyone. We all have a role to play. Policymakers and the media have to strike a balance between communicating information that would inform the public on how to act accordingly, but at the same time, not be a source of panic. If Juan fails, we all fail. People need to work together if they want to stop this pandemic. The story for Juan ends here, but our story goes on. Magpapatalo ba tayo sa coronaphobia? Wow, that story was a ride. I thought it was all tricks, but my treat pala sa end. I feel like I'm Halloweening. With this new information. Happy Halloween! 
Okay, that's kind of corny. But jokes aside, we hope that this podcast has been informative and helpful. It's okay to be afraid, but avoid letting fear get the best of you. Rather, make the most of fear. A healthy amount of fear, which is our ideal, reminds us to be wary of the pandemic and follow health protocols. We are with you through these trying times. This has been Angelica Kai, J.M. Yumo, Naika Chan, and Vian Beltran. Special thank you to Sir Abbott for the knowledge he has shared with us. Shout out to our scriptwriter, A.V. Salvador, and audio producers, Paolo Medina and Eloisa Ko. We are Episode, your one-stop epidemiological program. For more interesting topics on the COVID-19 pandemic, make sure to check out other podcasts from the channel Epi2Me. Episode, your one-stop epidemiological program.